Hello, this is Robert Rickover at Body Learning, and today my guest is John Macy, an Alexander Technique teacher in Omaha, Nebraska. He's also a physical therapist. He's a colleague of mine. We work together um, whenever we have a chance. I think could even say that to some extent we're each other's teachers. And uh, I know that's scary, isn't it? And um, we had an earlier conversation. John John just got back from vacation in uh, Austria, where he uh, took with him a couple of Alexander's books to read. Naturally, and he I know how to have a good time. He really does know how to have a good time, and he'd read one earlier, and he's read one since. So he's basically gone through reading systematically all four of Alexander's books, which is a fascinating ex- experience. Uh, I think we can both recommend that to anybody. We've had a previous conversation about that, and you had mentioned, um, John, that you um, that having read through Alexander's books has changed the way you're, you're teaching the technique. Mm-hmm. And there was a specific uh, process, in a way, that involving inhibition, the head-neck relationship. Could you say a little bit about that? Sure. What it was really about was what is primary control for mm-hmm. me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've been teaching Alexander Technique for over 30 years. In that time, I've seen people talk about primary control in a number of ways, head-neck relationship, body relationship, it's this, it's that. And I've played with a lot of that. There's a lot of ways to access things that change your movement. But Alexander clearly was referring to his experiments where it was what he did at the very top of his neck relative to his head was what he was calling primary control again and again. Mm -hmm. And so I decided to drop my ideas of it and say, what if that is the only thing I did is I change that little relationship there and see what happens. Not think of body following or moving this or moving that. Just I'm going to change my head neck relationship, use my primary control and then get on with what I'm doing, which is what I understood him to be advocating in all of his books. Mm-hmm. So the, you, let, uh, you let go of things like back lengthening and widening or Marge's version of directions, let my body come along so my head moves delicately away from my body, all of that, right? All of that. Anything Mm -hmm. secondary after let my head move away from my body a little bit, I didn't consciously do. Mm -hmm. I didn't inhibit doing it, Mm -hmm. but I didn't give myself any other command. Okay. Just to see. And what happened? What happens? And what, what would be the command that you would give yourself? Typically, typically, I'd tell myself, can you just quit compressing your head onto that very top of your spine? Or mm-hmm. I would say, can you just have a little freedom at the top of the spine where it meets your skull? And with my anatomical background, I know exactly where that is between the mastoid processes. So I have it mapped correctly. But that's all I would tell myself. And then I would wait. Because as I would especially read through Alexander's experience in the use of the self, rather his experiments, he was trying to find out what would happen. If I did this, I had to inhibit because usually the other habit kicked in. Mm -hmm. And so I decided, well, I have nothing to inhibit because I have no plans to do anything else. And I want to wait and see what happens. Mm -hmm. 
and what I discovered was that that waiting period initially was on the order of 10 to 15 seconds. And then I could feel tensional changes happening in my neck and going down my body. It would reduce the tension. I wasn't consciously doing anything else but watching that primary control at the top, but I could feel tensional relationships movement happening in my neck. Mm-hmm. Very quickly, that amount of time shortened mm-hmm. from being 10 to 15 to then eight, seven or eight seconds to five. And probably within 50 or 60 repetitions, it got down to being fractions of a second. Mm-hmm. But what I then experimented with was, okay, I am going to take care of that primary control as I was now defining it. I was going to wait until I felt something else starting to come along with it, having no idea what that something was. Sometimes it'd be the feeling in my back and my neck, sometimes in my chest, had no expectation of what it would be. And as soon as that started, then I would engage in whatever movement task I was intending, get out of the chair, take a drink of water, speak to somebody. But that was the experiment I ran again and again and again over the course of about six weeks. Mm-hmm. And um, just to be for to help our listeners, just to be really clear, so the initial direction you gave yourself was something about the head neck relationship. Uh, obviously, different teachers are going to have different different language, different, different language. Ideas, so, for example, it could be uh, I'm letting my my head neck relationship be free, or even I'm letting my neck be free. That's a pretty standard classic yeah. direction or if if we're in the realm of negative directions where i've been living for the last five or six years it might be i'm not tensing my neck or i'm not pulling my head down onto my neck or something like that well that's close mm-hmm. but i really was focused not on neck but head neck way at the very top of the neck i was very specific about that anatomical location c zero yeah, between the lateno-occipital joint, yeah, you know, give or take a couple centimeters. Mm-hmm. But it, but overall, you're correct in that that was the only part of my anatomy I was making any conscious direction to change. Then I would wait. Right. All the other commands and tricks, ideas I had learned over 30 years of teaching, I just put them on the shelf and just waited. Mm-hmm. And it was fascinating to see how much tension I lost and how much my not only did my body awareness increase and I started moving more easily, and my partner who I was traveling with, she saw big changes over the course of the first 10 days alone. Every day she would look at me and say, you're just moving so much easier, and you've, this has changed and this has changed. But the other thing that struck me in reading Alexander's books is one little throwaway line in one of the introductions where he says, it has made a difference in how easy so many things are in my life outside of my physical abilities. I'm paraphrasing. Mm-hmm. It Mm -hmm. just, things came to him easier. And I started having that happen. Opportunities opened up. I could think faster. I reacted to stimuli faster. All sorts of stuff that I hadn't expected to have happen was happening as I was doing this. And Mm -hmm. I didn't have that result when I first started training in the technique. Yeah, it is interesting. Of course, when, when you showed that to me, I guess it was about a month or... Five or six weeks ago, maybe longer, because you've been away for a while. Of course, I started playing with it, and I had I had a fairly similar experience in that uh, it definitely was a, 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 a 
period of some time. I think for me, it tended to be around 12 or 13 seconds. And then it did shorten to around eight. And got, it, it has shortened over time, just as you described. But I wouldn't be in any rush. I would just wait and see what happened. And sure enough, something happened. In my case, more often than not, what I noticed happening was a shift in my breathing. Mm-hmm. And that may just be me. It may be that I'm, you know, that's what I was happened to be more sensitive to at the time. You've described it for you as being a, a kind of a sense of lengthening or release that travels down your body, that sort of thing, mm-hmm. or, or appears elsewhere in your body. Something and changes. Something changes, yeah. Now, when in now the next step in this is something changes, and when that happens, then you go into whatever activity you want to. And when that at that point, are you still directing, or have you let go of conscious directing? Uh, I've tried both, and I find if I'm still directing, I seem to get a bit larger change. But even if I quit directing, the movement is easier. Mm-hmm. It mm-hmm. seems to. I think that waiting is really inhibition. It's I'm able to move in the in a new pattern, and I don't engage my old habit. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so I can make further changes into a newer pattern if you want by moving, maintaining that direction. But I don't see it as a necessary. I think that waiting is the inhibition of the old, so I can get on with doing what I want to do. Mm-hmm. As a side note, I've tried this with a number of students since. <clears throat> Excuse me. And I think it's a real physiologically based phenomenon because I find when they first do this, it's somewhere between 10 to 15 seconds before something starts to change on them. And very quickly it shortens down, and I would say within the first 8 to 10 reps, down to about 8 or 9 seconds. And it seems to stay there for a certain week or two, depending on how much they're doing. So I think it's a matter of repetitions before it starts shortening shortening up exponentially. And I think we're dealing with a real physiological phenomenon and how long it takes to make new neural connections and make new pathways happen is why this takes pretty consistent amounts of time across a number of people. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, one of the things I noticed when experimenting with it um, was that when I sort of initiated the the thought that's, that you, you're talking about, basically something about the head-neck relationship, some, some mm-hmm. direction surrounding that, that there, there uh, I guess, through years and years of being an Alexander student and teacher, there was a part of me that was almost anticipating some additional shift and perhaps even subtly at some very subtle hopefully very subtle level trying to bring it about that I had to (laughs) inhibit the inhibition that you you just talked about because um, I think um, well I think just generally we tend to think well if the heads if something's going to happen with the head neck relationship and everything in the body is connected 
with everything else, then pretty immediately something's going to have to happen just below the head-neck relationship and so on and so on. Mm-hmm. But you're saying, well, that may be true, but it might also be useful not to not to not to stop anything from happening. I know you never that is definitely not part of the program, but just that kind of quietly waiting to see how it might develop in its more full expression. Is that be a fair way of putting it? Not exactly. I think and I think we get into habits, even as Alexander teaches, about if I move my head, then this should follow and this should follow. Mm-hmm. But if this is primary control, and it's the control mechanism, we should be able to use it and let the underlying wiring subconscious, if you will, take care of all the other stuff. Mm-hmm. So when I make a decision to move, once I let my head move and the signals start going down my body to set the muscles in, position, in contraction states to stabilize me and others are in a position to start moving me, there is so much that has to be done simultaneously, the amount of information that has to be processed, that I don't think we can do it consciously. And in fact, when we get in the way of that, we, we cause problems. So I think what's happening is I am really sticking to my conscious control of that very top, letting primary control say, okay, this is working fine, Let's let the signals run down. And my consciousness doesn't really need to direct that. It already has. It's kind of like I've already turned the steering wheel. I don't have to get out and manually turn the wheels. Mm -hmm. They're attached. I don't have to think about them. But Mm -hmm. I do have to think about the steering wheel, the control mechanism to carry out what I want to do with the automobile. You have to have a clear intent about what you want to go on at that control mechanism. Right? Yes, yeah. Clear and everything like overall. And, and then everything else is going to have to figure out how to slide into that. And the system is designed for that to be the way it works. That is, the subsystems all kick in as appropriate. Yeah, they're, they're wired that way. And they're wired with feedback loops mm-hmm. to help them get more and more accurate as long as the primary control has been left alone. Now, it's a theoretical statement, but it's becoming more and more backed up by what I'm seeing as I work with myself and my students. So uh, when you're working with students now, and you, you teach them that process, do you ever do things like put your hands on their torsos to encourage that to come along? Or, I mean, how, how do you, operationally, what are you doing with your students? The first lesson, what I do with my students after we talk about the anatomy, I will put my hand, I will help them find where that primary control is. Mm -hmm. And then I will get them to wait until they can feel something else moves. We'll do that five or six times so they get the sense that I can move this thing and wait. So they never really know what's supposed to come after. Mm -hmm. I want them to have the idea that I don't know what's next, but they see that time shortens. And at that point, which may be during the first session, it may not be till the second. I've had some was the third till they grasp that. Then I will move my hands to other places to say, now that you've moved there, I'm going to use my hands to show you some other possibilities that you hadn't paid attention to. Mm-hmm. And what I'm doing when my hands are on their, their torso or their shoulders is I tell them to move their head. I wait with them. And when I feel them start to ter- move internally, then I will assist them to move a little bit more of themselves. But I'm still waiting till they move somewhere between their head and where my hands are 
before I do anything with my hands. So your hands are there really to expand out the area that's that they've already initiated. They've already initiated. Yeah, right. right. Yeah. That's that makes a lot of sense. That's a very interesting way of teaching. It's kind of um it 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 does differ from a lot of the teaching that you and I have been exposed to, wouldn't you say, with Marge? Or how how would you Marge how would you connect that with Marge Barstow's approach to teaching? You know, I think Marge is playing with this internally, but I think what happens is as students we want somebody to tell us what to do next. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's what we're so focused on. So she would show us. But what I think she was really showing me was you started to move and you could add this if you wanted to. Mm-hmm. But I do think it's different than a lot of teaching because what I find what it's doing is it's saying to the student, you're in charge of this. You have to start it. You have to get it going. And I'm just going to give you a little nudge over here or there to show you that there's more. Mm-hmm. But it is a very different approach as opposed to, this is what you do. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's more of, this is the order that you control it. Because I have no idea what you have to do internally to make it happen. Right. I really have no idea, and I'm going to quit pretending that I do. Mm -hmm. Well, I don't think anyone knows what... is going to how how what's going to have to happen to make those changes i mean it it's it's an amazingly complicated system and i think where people get themselves into trouble is is sort of an inevitable desire to to micromanage yeah well i think it's a i think it's more desire of i want you to have a particular experience yeah right right and i understand that and teachers usually do it cuz they want the student to feel better, perform better, you know, have a better life. Right. But it's very paradoxical that if you're going to give me any experience, then it's yours, not mine, and that's not necessarily better. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, this is fundamentally a pretty empowering process because you're showing people what's, in a way, a very, very simple technique. You know... The other th- what I'm seeing from it from students who've never been exposed to the technique is they come back the next time and they're moving better and they never ask me, am I doing it right? Boy, the question just disappeared. I find mm-hmm. that very interesting. That, yeah, no, that's, that is interesting. Um, I have to say I have not used it with my own students yet. I've been playing with it on myself a lot. But um, I think I'm going to start to uh, to experiment with that. Certainly, anything that you can do to get students to not ask you about right positions has got to be good, right? <laughs> God, I'm, I'm it so tired of raft of problems. Man, doesn't I'm it? so tired of talking about that. <laughs> yeah, is is so. Is there anything else you uh, want to say about this? The, you know, uh, one thing I noticed with Marge, Marge Barstow. There were a number of occasions, I I experienced it a few times, and I know other people did, where she would put her hand somewhere on you, not necessarily the top of your neck, and just leave a hand there for a period of time, or sometimes just a fingertip. And then suddenly there'd be this kind of internal explosion of release. And I wonder if that's not somehow related to your discovery or rediscovery, perhaps. 
You know, it just may well be. Because I wonder if I think about that, like she would love to pull on your shirt tags if it was sticking out up over your collar. Absolutely. That was one of her faves. But I think what she was doing is she noticed that you could do a little movement. So she'd give you a little input and she was waiting. And when you finally figured it out and something started to change, she just accentuated it for you. Yeah. And by figuring it out, it's not like an intellectual figuring it out. It's really your body figures it out or your body mind at some some yeah, level the, that you, your conscious brain doesn't have a whole lot of control well, over. Yeah, because there's an overall change in the tensional relationship within your entire organism. And so literally your home changes. And your body, it's, at some point, all that wiring said, okay, we can change all the tensional pattern and we're not going to fall over or break or whatever. Mm-hmm. And you can't help but notice it when that happens because it's such a global change. But the actual processing of the individual parts consciousness i don't think is made to do that no it's too many memory take up too many memory slots for one thing you know (laughs) i can remember once when i was working with marge was working with me back towards the end of her life she she was working around my head and neck and suddenly i felt my entire body expanding even into my feet and i mentioned that to her and she chuckled and said Oh, well, that's when it gets really interesting. <laughs> so it could be that she was sort of onto this, but maybe in a, di- a different way of using it or thinking about it. I'm not sure. Like, mm-hmm. Yeah. Anything else you want to say about this for, to our listeners, Alexander teachers and students of the technique? Try it. Try it's great it. Fun. It's an interesting experiment to do. And I think a lot of teachers and students will be will be interested in noticing what what their habits are of of um after they've kind of delivered this initial uh direction about their their head neck relationship what their habits are right after that yeah what they have to inhibit what they have to inhibit yeah I, ex- exactly i think I and you know, it's it's so much better experiment because what they have to inhibit is something that they consciously installed. It's not a subconscious habit they've got to figure out. Mm-hmm. So they get the chance to do what Alexander did, said was, I want to make this stuff like habit, but I want to be able to change it whenever I can because I've used my conscious mind. Mm-hmm. It's on the conscious plane. So mm-hmm. it's kind of fun. It's, you know, taking that next step, I think, as Alexander teachers. Absolutely. Well, if anyone um, experiments with this and has feedback, I'll put a link to um, John's site uh, by the interview and my site. Get hold of us. Let us know what your experiences were. I think this is – I do think that in general, we Alexander folks are living in the golden age of new technology and Alexander directing. I think we're talking in uh, 2013 now. I think there's just amazing stuff has been happening over the last few years. And this rediscovery of yours, if that's what it is, I think is is, is part of that whole uh, flowering of Alexander directing technology. <laughs> you're, you're part of the pantheon of, of, of that. Anyway, John, thanks so does much. It, does this mean I get a marble statue somewhere? You might. You might get one. <laughs> <laughs> But probably not from one of the professional societies. (laughs) 
So, John, thank you so much for this. Thank you, Robert. It's a pleasure. Take care.